0: Good morning everyone and thank you for joining us today for a special edition of A Vision For You. Today is Sunday, August 3rd, 2014. My name is Melanie C. and I'm a recovered Compulsive Overeater and your moderator for this morning. The SHARE ID for Friday, August 1st, is, twen- is 6710, August 1st, 2014 is 6710. This morning, a vision for you as host to our invited guest speaker, whose presentation is entitled, Came to Believe. Came to Believe just happens to be the first three words of the step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. You may have heard it said in the rooms, I came, I came to, I came to believe. When beginning to describe the full experience of step two, very pointedly, this promise illuminates could restore us to sanity. And for this reason, the need to come to, and ultimately where to come to believe. And as the experience deepens the transformation of the mind, the greater awareness in humility for the need of a power greater than ourselves. And here today to chronicle his own experience that came to believe is Scott Kaye. Scott Kaye passionately is dedicated to carrying the message and particularly actively engaged in sponsorship. Welcome Scott Kaye and thank you and we appreciate you coming today to share with us at A Vision For You.
1: Thanks Melanie. Um, my name is Scott. I'm a gratefully recovered compulsive operator, and uh, very, very grateful to be able to uh, share this message. Um, I was thinking about step two, and when I was talking to the folks who set this up and booked me for this, uh, we talked about a lot of things, and and uh, you know, you guys cover so many. This 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 particular you know morning Sunday morning thing covers so much, and and the, if you look back in all of 2012 and 2013, and of course what we've had so far already this year, the topics are so rich. The amount of information is out there that's that's so wonderful. Um, there's been a bunch of step two workshops, and of course there was a, some previous ones called Came to Believe. And you know, one of the one of the things I'm passionate about, and what I end up doing when I qualify, is I end up. You know, I go through all 12 steps, I do my best in 20 minutes in front of a meeting and, and I do my best, and I end up getting stuck on step two, and I, and I spend out of those 20 minutes, maybe the first like 15 talking about how I, I came, you know, just like Melanie said, came, how I came to, and then came to believe. So I figured, well, why not take all this time this morning and talk about, of course, my experience, and then the experience of how I found this power. That's greater than me, and not only did I have to come to believe in this power that's greater than me, I had to come to believe that I was insane when it came to food, because the second step is again one of our richest steps in, in my opinion, and and I'm, I do have an opinion. I'm very opinionated, and, and if my opinion differs in yours, then please just go with with the you know if actually I should say if if my opinion differs than the big book, then by all means go with the big book and. And, you know, I'm just another, what they call, bozo on the bus, um, you know, just another compulsive overeater who found a solution and, and is recovered today by God. I'm not cured, absolutely not cured. I wake up every day untreated from this disease, and my treatment is talking to my higher power, the first thing out of bed, getting on my knees, doing all these things, and learning all these things from my, my sponsors, my, my mentors, and, of course, our fellowship. Um, so just a little history on me. I came into Overeaters Anonymous um, on June 6, 1991. So it was my personal D-Day. And coming into OA, um, I'll tell you a little bit before that. I, I was 21 years old. I'm 44 now. So I've spent 23 years. i lived just over 23 years in our fellowship. My entire adult life has been in Overeaters Anonymous. And I came in at 21 just completely... Um, a mess. Uh, that's just the word I use for it. And I joke around and I say that there's, there's only one thing that's changed in those 23 years that I've spent in Overreads Anonymous, and that's everything. And the second step talks a lot about change. But before we can get to the change and, and that spiritual solution, we actually have to believe that we have a problem. So before I can come to believe in this, in this power that's greater than me, I had to come to believe that I had a problem. And so I came into Obreed Anonymous, um, the way I found overeating Anonymous was uh, my, through my brother. Uh, my brother is developmentally disabled, and as much as I ate food and kept food in my body and came into Overeaters Anonymous over 460 pounds, I um, my brother would binge just as much as I would, but he would vomit and he or he would withhold food and not eat and. And um, so by the time we both walked into OA, I was 460 pounds and, and six foot one, and he was six foot three and about 130 pounds. So we were just the polar opposites, but the same ilk. We would always play fight, and we would wrestle, and we would do this and do that, and have issues, and and you know do this and fight, and and I, and my mother would break it up, and and I would be the one who got punished, and I always say, well, why did I get punished? Why isn't he? And she looked at me and she would be like, well, he's sick. You know better, Scott. So, you know, I was, quote, unquote, the normal child in the relationship. Both of my parents were addicts in, in their own way, along with multiple addictions. And um, and so when I came, when, when the time came when my brother, you know, it got so bad where he would fall down in the street because he had no electrolytes in his body and, and couldn't keep his legs together and and would just lose the whole consciousness, they finally put him, put him into rehab, and, and he went through multiple rehabs, again, because of his developmental issues. Out of his seventh rehab, he uh, was finally given a list of OA meetings um, by, uh, by this rehab that, that we have here in Manhattan, and he was given a list of OA meetings in the Bronx, so he came home with this list of, and instructions to go to a Anonymous. So, of course, my mother takes it and hands it to me, and tells me you have to take him to his meetings. So I looked at it and I was like, well, Overeaters Anonymous. It sounds like what my aunt is in. My aunt, I have an aunt who's in um, Alcoholics Anonymous, and you know she was sober and her life was changing, and she was like seven years sober or so. And I uh, I looked at that and, and I said okay, and and I said well whatever, and I said mom, mom you know this thing is Overeaters Anonymous, and I'm you know I I, I was honest and. I kind of knew that I ate a lot, um, being 460 pounds, having to maintain a 460-pound body. I guess what I ate a lot, <laughs> and you know, my days were spent uh, collecting food, stealing from the stores in my neighborhood, stealing from my parents, um, um, just getting, collecting as much food as possible, laying in bed under the covers, no matter what temperature it was, and watching TV. And just binging and eating and eating and eating. So you know, coming into program, I can count on my hand the amount of people I can call and say, "Hey, how you doing? What's up?" Uh, And and let's let's hang out. Um, Before coming into Overeaters Anonymous, I never you know had any sort of physical or or any sort of emotional connection with another person, not even my family. So I, I drove him to his first meeting and I dropped him off, and I walked in with him, and, and you know, I tell this as like a joke, um, and, and I bring him in, and of course, you know, again, I'm 460 pounds, and, and he's 130 pounds, and the woman in the synagogue where, where I went to my first meeting, or, or I brought him to his first meeting, looks at me, and she says, oh, it's over there, and I said, no, 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 it's for him, and, and I pushed him in that direction, and I left, and of course, I went to my favorite Italian restaurant and, and ate everything on the menu except for thank you, please come again, and and um, I binged my head off for the hour and a half, and then I drove back to the synagogue and picked him up. Um, I was completely hungover with food and you know, just typically disgusted with myself, so, of course, saying, this will never happen again, I'm never going to eat that much again, especially in just a short period of time. I picked him up from the car, and he was joyous. He was happy. He was smiling. He, he had tears in his eyes. He said, wow, they did this and they did that and they brought me to the front of the room and they let me tell my story and they hugged me and they gave me this and he, he handed me a bunch of pamphlets. And you know, back in 1991, we didn't have like fancy schmancy beginner kits that we have now with, with this packaging and this, this nice, all this nice information. We had a bunch of pamphlets. And we were charged for the pamphlets in our meetings—15 like cents for that one, 20 cents for that one. But they, you know, he didn't have any money, and they just handed it to him, uh, which we do now these days. You know, um, <clears throat> most meetings uh, absorb that cost. So he uh, he hands me these, these these things, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. And I shove them in the back seat along with the 25 other you know wrappers and and, and packages and, and stuff that that I didn't want him to see. Drove them home and whatever. And I um, handed all of the literature to my mother, and somehow, some way, the Q&A pamphlet, the, the questions and answers pamphlet, stayed in my hand. So, you know, I said, "All right, this this is good bathroom material," and I went and I read it, and I read it, and I started reading what Over it is Anonymous is, and I said, "Wow, this is really for me. This is for me." So I finally, I go to my mother and I was like, Mom, this is great. You know, this thing is wonderful. And then I said, do you think this thing is for me? And she says, oh, no, Scott, he's sick. You know better. I said, I finally said to myself, there's no friggin' way that I know better. I'm just as sick and everything. And I want to get that joyousness and happiness that he has. So I went to my first Obreas Anonymous meeting two days later. And when I went in, uh, we, we, they, said, okay, well, we're going to start the meeting, and everybody stood up, so I stood up with them, and then all of a sudden, a woman to my left and a woman to my right, both old enough to be my mother or my mother's older sister, grabs my hand, and I said, okay, I said to myself, all right, what are these people doing? And they start praying, and of course, they said a surrounding prayer. I had no clue what it was. I stood there, and I sat down. That hand-holding between those two women was the very first contact with another person holding hands for, for whatever it is, the, the 20 or, or 30 seconds that we see the serenity prayer, that was the first contact I've ever had with another person, physical contact I'm talking about, with another person, no less a woman, and I, I immediately, Overeaters Anonymous started teaching me how to be a human being just by that serenity prayer. And the meeting, I don't even remember half of what they talked about. All I remember is that the people in the meeting seemed really happy. Some of them were larger. Some of them were smaller. I, of course, was the largest person in the room, which was very typical. Um, being close to 500 pounds then, it's very typical. So uh, I was used to that. And I, um, I, one woman toward the end of the meeting you know, went up to me and she said, oh, oh uh, my husband will sponsor you. And, and I said, okay. And I said to myself, well, what's a sponsor? And I just said, you know, I'll, I'll just go with it. And she said, well, come back to this meeting on Friday morning. The next morning, she had me come back. And I wasn't working at the time. Or if I was, I was driving a cab for a short time. And, and so I went and I got my first sponsor. And, and my first sponsor was very uh, service-oriented, was the chair of the Bronx Intergroup. And, you know, it, it just, there, there I went. I, I, I fully indoctrinated myself into fellowship. My brother, just uh, as a little aside, fell out. He had, a, um, he had a, a relapse later that month, and he went into a rehab. Um, and at that point, when he went into his eighth rehab, I, on the other hand, realized, wow, my brother's not here. I can actually share something with this group and with these people because they promised me anonymity. And if he's not here, then I get to talk, and I get to really express my feelings and, and what the food did to me and for me. Um, or did for me and to me, and he is, um, thank God, today, um, whatever that a 3 hab was, and then whatever the, the therapy work he's done, he's in a normal, healthy body weight, uh, 20-something years later without a fellowship, but, you know, God chose to, to cure him, um, and for me, God chose to uh, have me become part of our incredible fellowship and, and learn learned this fellowship and be able to pass this message, and when I say learn this fellowship, I'm talking about learn the big book, um, you know this fellowship. I use the word fellowship a lot. Um, fellowship in the Big Book, on page twenty-four, on page seventeen, on page seventeen, if there is a solution, it talks about the fact that we are one of many, and you know they talk about the passengers of a great liner, um, where everybody from the captain's table to to the bottom of the boat, um, when that boat tips over, everybody's the same, and at the bottom of page seventeen, it says this is but one element in our recovery. So right there, it's telling me, guess what? One element, they ain't going to do it. That's just going to get you started. So before I can even go into um, there is a solution more about alcoholism, we agnostics, and of course my own personal adventure with them, I I need to talk a little bit about God because, you know, that is sort of uh, the idea of belief. So I came into OA, again, um, a scared little boy. Part of my growing up, Um, in my teenage years was going to a religious school. I'm Jewish, uh, born Jewish, and was uh, fat, white, and Jewish in the Bronx um, growing up in the 80's. Went to public elementary school and was bullied every day, was beaten up, was pushed around and was scared. And we really had no no God or or lack of God or or positive towards God. We really had nothing in my household. But somehow, some way in the summer of 1982 um, this, this yeshiva called up and said, hey, do you, you have a son who's born mitzvah age. Why don't we, um, we'll be happy to take him in and actually give him a full education, both a religious education and a secular education, and we'll take him in. And you can pay us whatever you can afford, Mrs. Mrs. K, Mrs. Kantrowitz, it's my last name. And so my mom jumped at it, and she said, oh, of course, and, and, and I was sent there. So I went to this yeshiva, but... I don't want to talk negatively about Judaism because this is not the point of, of this, but I will tell you I will talk negatively about the yeshiva, the way that they sort of ran things and they sort of did things, was very angry, was very militant, and was very us against them as opposed to the beauty and the, lo- and the religion and, and how lovely it is and how incredible it is and how wonderful it is to worship and, and talk to this incredible God. They, they talked about being fearful of God. And, and, and um, I remember um, coming into fellowship, I move around a lot. Um, I move around a lot in my story, and I apologize. I do talk fast, and just try to keep up with me. I'm grateful this is being recorded, so maybe some of you can re- re-listen to some of this at some point, because I am all over the place. But I will tell you that I had a, I, after coming into OA, I went back to the yeshiva, and I hung out with some of these people, and, and I hung out with my rabbi's mother, and we would talk about God, and I would talk about higher power, and she was always very interested. And I remember the rabbi coming up to me, and we were talking, and, and he said, Scott. Let me tell you the difference between me and you. You have a God that you love, and I have a God that I fear. And he smiles with a half smile, and I looked at him right in the eye. Because again, Obreed Anonymous turned me from a little boy, a scared little boy, into this incredible man that I am today. I looked him right in the eye, and I said, well, I feel sorry for your rabbi. And I called him Rabs, that was my nickname, and we all called him Rabs. I'm like, I feel sorry for your rabs. And he just like, looked at me, and and sort of like a touche type thing, but he didn't say anything, and he walked away, and he smiled, and, and then I looked at his mother, and his mother sort of gave me the half smile, and then we continued on our conversation. So, you know, this yeshiva, it, it was really militant. It was really angry. It was really, we would do rallies in the street, and would very, you know, do this and do that. We learned, I learned a lot about the religion, but a lot of, a lot about the religion, but from the angry side, from the, from the side where you're going to die. You're going to, if you don't, if you don't, um, not eat on this day. You, you know, if you eat bread on, on this holiday, you know during this time period, uh, part of your life is going to be cut off. And if you if you pick up this or, or touch that on a Saturday, um, you're going to be stoned. In, in the Bible, it talks about being stoned if you if you don't observe the Sabbath. And, and they, they placated on that and they pushed that. So, you know, it was just them and their their fo- their idea that. So, I faked being religious in order to fit in. Yeah. Like, I wanted to fit in in the worst way, so I faked being religious. And, you know, one of the things I learned was that if you didn't do these laws and these ordinances in this way, that you were going to hell, and they called hell Gehenna. And I was going to go to Gehenna, and it was going to be there a long time, and guess what? Scott, you know that you're sinning, so it's going to be ten times worse for you. You're going to burn ten times worse. So I I don't want to stay on this, but just coming into, OA, that that was my idea of God. And I knew that I was going to hell, and I knew my life was going to be cut off, and I knew that I might be stoned, you know, um, with with rocks one day, uh, and because I I wasn't a Sabbath observer, and I ate this, and I ate it on this day, and I ate this on that day, and, and I didn't wear this or wear that, or stand up or sit down at certain points in prayers and whatever. So coming into program. And looking at the 12 steps in, in this book that they gave me, or this pamphlet that they gave me, step 2, step 3, step 5, step 6, step 7, and step 11 all mention God or Him or power greater than ourselves. And step 12 talks about a spiritual awakening. And it scared me to death. I was like, oh my goodness. How can I do this? I, 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 I am afraid of God. God is going to kill me. I, how am I going to um, um, you know believe in this higher power and... and Turn my will in, and third step, turn my will in my life, no less talk about character defects and shortcomings and, and, and you know prayer and meditation and, and all this stuff. i, I didn 't know what to do, and thank God, thanks to the people and, and our fellowship and the incredible mentors and sponsors that I've had, they told me, well, Scott, you don't have to you know just because you grew up with that as a God. That, that God that you grew up with, it doesn't have to be your higher power. Here, let's take a look at this. And and they started showing me Bill's story. And, you know, this woman who's my sponsor today um, was my mentor back then, and she would open up the big book, and she would show me, well, here, it talks about um, this guy Bill, and, and he started this, this program, and, and he wrote this book along with these other alcoholics, and, and he had also this whole issue and this, this idea of, of a God um, of not personal to him and, and you know this God that was his grandfather's God and, and all this. And, and he realized that, why don't you choose your own conception of a God? And so what I was told to do, let's get to some nuts and bolts here and, and give you guys some, some, some tools and some fun stuff. I was told to do a help wanted it. And again, this is the 90s, the early 90s, New York Times. Um, if you don't live in New York City, you know we have this incredible newspaper, the New York Times. Um, all the intellectuals read it every day, and, and the rest of us idiots read the Daily News and the Post because they have good pictures. And um, But the New York Times help-wanted ads were, were really, really important and, and was a big part of you finding a job on Sunday and circling those help-wanted ads and going, calling, and doing everything. So I was pointed to those ads and I said, they said, just like that, four lines, three to five words per line, make a help-wanted ad for you to find this power greater than yourself. And I did. And um, I don't have it in front of me, but it was something along the lines of uh, incredible love um, and to create joyousness, um, joyousness um, all-encompassing, and and i remember the last thing i wrote about it was must start immediately
2: <laughs> the last
1: line was must start immediately because i knew and, every, and i knew that these people in order for me to get what they had they had this higher power i needed to find this higher power so i went to meetings i was told well scott you have two ears and one mouth so you need to listen twice as much as you talk and you guys hear me talking you know i talk a lot so hey go to meetings and start listening to what other people describe as their higher power. So I started going to a lot of beginner's meetings. And back in the 90s, um, we don't have as many today, but back in the 90s, there were a lot of beginner's meetings. And there was was one church that had a beginner's meeting five nights a week at at 7.30. So I used to go, and I would go every night of the week. I would go to the 6 o'clock meeting that they held, and then I would go to the 7.30 meeting. And I finally heard what I needed to hear um, about about a weekend, This gentleman sat there. There was three or four other people around me. And he said, you know, he was talking about the second step. And he said, well, I need to find something greater than me. So, you know, I looked up and I realized, wow, the sun, you know, something makes the sun come out and and shine and control the tides. Well, sorry, and and warm the earth and create photosynthesis and nourish people with with vitamins. And and the moon, something makes the moon come and, and shine at night and control the tides of the sea and light the earth. And you know, something that same something makes food grow right out of the ground um, and forget about the weather. And he started talking about all these things. And I looked at him and I said, pardon the language, I said, oh, shit. And I said that really loud. And I looked at everybody and everybody looked at me and I was like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, No, no cross talk. I'll, I'll shut up. And I sat back and, and I said to myself, that's it. And I talked to him afterwards and, and, um, and we became friends and we're still friends. And, Excuse me. Pardon my voice. Uh, it was a long day yesterday. So I, I realized, wow, I had the beginnings of a higher power. And because in the bottom line, for, for real, the bottom line between me and all you guys, it, your higher power doesn't have to be anything more than just something greater than you. And as long as it's not you, I had to learn that Scott is not my higher power. Scott is my lower power. When I direct my own thinking and I direct my own life and I'm, and, and I'm on self-will and, and running the ship myself, I'm always going to fall into trouble. I know it and, and, uh, and I have. Um, I am a relapse survivor in our program and, and I can talk about that a little bit later. But for the most part, staying on the topic, uh, I developed this, this Help Wanted ad and I developed it into a 30-second commercial. Um, For those of you who don't know what a 30-second commercial is, it's sort of like the thing where you're a salesperson for this big company and some mid-level manager gives you an opportunity to come up and talk to them and sell him or her your business. You get into the elevator and forget about this mid-level manager. The owner of the company comes in and looks at you and says, oh, hey, aren't you from this company? You're going to go talk to one of my managers. You now in that elevator have 30 seconds to sell him on your company. So I've turned that into an art. and I've turned that into something that I do with my sponsors and I I have my my people create a 30-second commercial selling me on their higher power. And I could do that for you right now. Um, You've heard a little bit of it, but I can share it real quick in 30 seconds. my higher power, uh, something makes the sun come out during the day and create photosynthesis and warm the earth and, mm. and, and nourish the earth. Something makes the moon come out at night and shine and, and control, control the tides of the ocean. Um, and that same something makes food grow right out of the ground. And wow, I don't know if I want to call it mother nature and father time or father nature and mother time, but something that, and that something is greater than me. And 23 years later, I've developed that into this incredibly powerful Being, I haven't, but it's created itself and and God is just so, so important to me. It's sort of like God sits on my shoulder and and I have a, a, a part of God sitting with me at all times. And if I want to compulsively overeat, guess what? I have to ask God to leave the room because God's with me. If God's with me at all times, I can't compulsively overeat because I can't compulsively overeat if God's with me. So I have to have God turn around and leave the room. So, you know, if God's sitting on my shoulder, then... I'm, I'm able to be straight. So I don't know if that was 30 seconds, but you know, give or take, you guys get the idea. So <clears throat> I had to believe that I was insane in order to believe that something that was going to save me. And I, would, and I had sponsors and, and mentors, and they would talk to me about this and what I did with food. And I'm not going to go into a food log. Um, I obviously ate a lot to maintain such a heavy body. And I was insane when it came to food, knowing like today, for instance, um, I'm abstinent. God bless. You know, uh, just over eleven years and a few months, and um, and I uh, know for today that. I can't go to the store and, and get an almond joy bar. And I'm sorry if those words disrupt anybody. But you know, guess what? We're in we're in the earth. We're we're here on earth. If you go outside, especially here in New York, you can't walk a block without five billion stores throwing all sorts of food at you. So if the word almond joy bothers somebody, I apologize. But you for me, an almond joy bar represents what what you know disease is for me. So, or a hostess fruit pie or, or, or Twinkie or something like that. So I can go today. I know I can. I can go across the street from my house to the bodega. I can go inside and I can get an Almond Joy bar, put my dollar on the counter, and, and finish it before I even reach the door. And it's going to be chocolatey and tasty and coconut, in, and I can taste a nut in my mouth. Even though I haven't eaten one in almost you know, over 11 years, I can still taste it in my mouth. And I'd be fine today because I go about my day. I'd go here, I'd go there, and I'd say, "Oh well, that almond joy bar was part of my breakfast, and it was okay, and whatever." Guess what? Wednesday is going to come around, or Thursday is going to come around, and I'm going to say, "Well, you know what? That almond joy bar was really great on Sunday. Nothing happened. I didn't binge. I was I was okay with it. I actually went and spoke at a meeting and did this and did that. I, well, why don't I get another almond joy bar? But you know, I didn't. I had such little lunch. Let me get a king size. So instead of two pieces of, of candy. There's four. And then and so on and so forth, you're getting, hopefully you're getting the point. By probably three or four weeks in, I'll be up to 30 or 40 almond joy bars a day. And that's, that's what this disease does to me. So that's the insanity of the disease. Um, and you know, we learned in, in uh, the doctor's opinion and Bill's story that we have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. So an allergy is an abnormal reaction to something. And the obsession of the mind and, and the phenomenon of craving, what is a craving and what is an obsession? Um, a craving isn't, you know an obsession and a craving for me, is an idea that rules out all other ideas to the contrary. So that craving, that, that, that obsession of the mind, even though I haven't eaten it in 11 years, my mind can recreate that and, and get me to do it if I'm not in fit spiritual condition. So the way I stay in fit spiritual condition is by taking. You know, learning. I had to learn this. This. Um, this. I had to learn what this power was, you know, and how it works. It talks about grasping and developing um, a way of life. Uh, for me, I, I had to learn how to take this higher power and grasp it, grasp the idea of it, and then develop it so where I can worship this higher power, look at this higher power, and have this higher power in all aspects of my life. Because guess what? You know, we talked about page seventeen of the big book. It talks about one element in, in the program page 24, you know, it takes 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, and 24, all those pages, those seven pages, and he takes all those seven pages to basically prove to the idea that fellowship is great, and you can great and have all the fellowship you want, and you can see all these great people, and you can, you can even find a sponsor, or you can be a sponsor, because uh, of course, when the big book came out, there were no sponsors for, for the average Joe Schlub, um, in in middle America, uh, who just got this book from his doctor or from, saw it on a bookshelf or his wife bought it from him because he's a fall-down drunk. So, you know, page 24 says we are beyond human aid. So it takes all those pages to prove to us that, you know, fellowship is wonderful and incredible, but guess what? No human power is going to be able to save us. And on page 25, of course, it says there is a solution. And then it goes into the idea of of belief that this power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And it talks about something called the fourth dimension of existence. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this because I'm not telling, you know, I'm not talking about all the steps and everything, but that fourth dimension of existence he talks about joyousness and happiness and a way of life that is just more wonderful as time passes because Bill talks, he mentions fourth dimension of existence on page eight in his story. And of course, on page 25, he re-mentions it. And because, and you know, whenever something's re-mentioned and something is called back um, in the big book, to me, that's an important something. Because guess what? If you go to page 84 of the big book, and you look at the bottom, and there's a little there's a paragraph there. And, and we long-timers and, and you know, even lots of newcomers, we look at those promises as the 10-step promises. And for me, I call them the abstinence promises. Um, the first promise says, and we've ceased fighting anything or anyone, even liquor, for by this time, sanity will have returned. Whoa, 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 stop the presses. Sanity will have returned? You mean I'm going to get my sanity back? That doesn't mean I get to compulsively overeat. What that means is that, yes, Scott, because you have a God in your life that that, that is leading you and a power greater than you, not you, you get to turn around and you get to to have your sanity back and understand that when you eat these certain things and do these certain things with food, it's going to kill you. But for today, there's so many other things you can do in your life because of this guide that's personal to you and these other steps that, that have to be done between page 25 where there is a solution and page 84 where it's a 10-step promise. So, um, you know, the big book spends three whole chapters getting us to believe in the solution. We go, you know, I, A lot of people say, well, more about alcoholism is step one. I'm not going to argue with you. You want to call it step one, then God bless you. Just keep reading it. Uh, but I call it step two. I look at there is a solution more about alcoholism and weak gnostics all as step two. Um, it's because my forefathers Joe and Charlie, uh, you know all the different big book people in my world, um, my sponsor who was Charlie's uh, Charlie's Sponsy, uh, for years, um, you know not to. You know, do anything. When I say that, it's not, ooh, I have a big and bad sponsor who's this and that. It just so happens that she found Joe and Charlie and she went to Charlie and she said, hey, she found him at home. You know, who has the balls to do that? Call up this guy who's on these tapes that, that you've never met before. You call him at home and you say, hey, you know, I'm, a, I'm a compulsive opiate. I'm not an alcoholic. Can you sponsor me? So hey, if she had the balls to do that, guess what? She's a mentor in my life and now today she's um, one of the most important people in my world. So, we're taught that there is a solution, you know, there's three parts to the second step. Uh, There's the idea of belief, there's the idea of higher power, and there's the idea of insanity. I've talked enough about insanity, which of course is way detailed and more about alcoholism. I look at there is a solution touching on the idea of the belief, and of course we agnostics, again, touches on belief in God and belief that there is something greater than us. And when I say the word God, you know, for me today, God is three. God is three letters, three letters in one syllable, and what it means is that thirty-second commercial that I gave you. It's just this power that just completely controls my world. Um, you know, Mother Nature, Father Time, Father Nature, Mother Time, et cetera, et cetera. And and with this power, I realize I'm just one spoke in a wheel that's just spinning. And and the world is is uh, absolutely incredible when I look at it from that angle and that that standpoint. So, you know, I've touched on there is a solution. We've talked about the insanity of the disease. Let's talk a little bit about God and, and what God is and what the Big Book does to, to help us. You know, and We Agnostics, they give us three real-life examples of Christopher Columbus, Galileo, and the Wright Brothers. And, and all that, all, all those, those examples are touching on is the idea of belief. You don't have to have faith. There's, there's, no, there's no faith necessary what's the difference between belief and faith well uh christopher columbus when he first sailed and he knew you know in his mind and he looked at all the charts and all the maps and everything and he said well we need to go through the middle east and and it's so hard to do that with a boat and everything it's it's going to be easier for us to go west to get east and the whole everybody said no friggin' way you're going to go too far west you're going to fall off the end of the world well he had the belief that the world was round he just looked at all of his maps and all of his understanding. He just knew in his mind. So he went, you know, and Joe and Charlie make fun. And they, they say, well, you know, I bet the first time he went, he had a guy standing on one of those, like, big poles at the top. He says, well, hey, you know, you take your, 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 your microscope or whatever, the, you know, the little thing that they put around their eye and look look out. He says, hey, if you see the end of this world, you better tell us or we'll turn around. Um, but of course, you know, he did, he did end up sailing and he, he didn't get to the west, uh, to the east, but he ended up getting somewhere else and, and then every, the whole story goes from there. And, you know, the Wright brothers talked about, and the big book just specifically points out that the press, you know, the world's press didn't, didn't say anything about the Wright brothers finding, you know, discovering flight and saying that, well, we, we were able to fly this plane and, and maintain this plane in the air. And the, the press just didn't believe it. And, you know, I, I, what I also love about the Big Book is, you know, the Big Book is 75 years old this year. And, you know, in June it was, you know, 75th anniversary technically of AA, even though they really started a couple of years earlier in 37. And so when they talk about the last hundred years in the Big Book, you know, have, have brought us a lot of this and a lot of that. And, you know, they're talking about from the middle of the 1800s all the way to the early 1900s. So it's kind of fun to, to look at it and look at history and look at what's been invented in the last, in our case, 175 years. And again, I'm a big book geek and I'm, I'm one of those guys who can quote pages and do this and do that and, and, and little paragraphs and whatever. Um, but the bottom line is is that the Wright Brothers, when they, was doing, when they were doing their, their flight maps and, and everything, they were bicycle mechanics. And they they weren't that smart, you know. They, they weren't uh, super smart, but they just knew that that if they built the right machine, it can it can sustain. And guess what? It did. So the big book t- it goes to great lengths between pages 17 and the beginning of there is a solution, all the way through, um, all the way to page 60 in in um, how it works. Because the first part of how it works is all step two. Um, if you look at it, the bottom of page 60 says we are now at step. If you you know at this point you are now at step three. So. Looking at the big book, it, it, between the Roman numeral pages and the, you know, with the doctor's opinion and the forwards and all that, all the, way to step, all the way to page 60, it's about 87 pages. So it takes the big book 87 pages to describe step one, which is the problem, and step two, which is a solution. And then from 60 to 103, it's about another 43 pages to go through steps 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Wow it must mean that that looking at the problem and looking at the solution are, are really, really important because guess what? The program of action is just that. It's action. With step three, we make this decision. And with the decision, the response to that decision is step four. We do the inventory. We share the inventory. We get up close and deep with our character defects. We get on our knees and talk to higher power and ask higher power to please remove these character defects. We, we make the list. Well, we have the list, but we take this list of people we've harmed. we become willing to make amends to them all. We make a game plan. We go out and we make amends, and we start living 10, 11, and 12 by living this program and doing a moment-by-moment inventory in step 10, doing the nightly inventory and living uh, and growing my spiritualness with God every day, and then, and then sharing this message and carrying this message in step 12 and practicing these principles, um, and not just in the supermarket and not just in, in the grocery store and, and at the dinner table, but in the car and with my family and with everything, bringing the program and bringing the fellowship into everything. But it all starts with the belief you know, came to believe. It, it all starts with the belief. You know, my sponsor loves to point out um, in, in, in step two and in the AA 12 and 12, it just talks about we don't have to open the door. We just have to turn the knob. And, you know, if you're telling me, well, Scott, this thing has worked for me, and all you have to do is just do this and do this, I'm not doing it on faith. Just like Christopher Columbus, when he went on his boat and, and the Wright brothers, they're not doing it on faith. They're doing it on belief because they believe it will work. So guess what? You, you tell me this works, I'm going to try it, and I'm just going to go on belief. And then that belief, once it all turns around, and, and 11 years later, I'm not compulsively overeating, and I've lost hundreds and hundreds of pounds off my body, I'm going to have some faith. Because guess what? Scott Kanterowitz today in 2014, it's not belief anymore, baby. It's faith. I know deep in my heart and to the core of my soul, that this fellow, that this program, that that, that these alcoholics put together through the Oxford movement, and, and between you know the, the allergy of the mind and, and developing this you know the idea of the allergy and the and the obsession, and then this this incredible program of action, and the idea of carrying this message being the most important piece of it, I know that I'm gonna am I'm gonna sustain my abstinence because I'm in fit spiritual condition. You know I know I'm not cured of this thing. But at the same time, I can be recovered today because I'm in fit spiritual condition. If, you know, and then I love to, to talk about um, steps 10, step 11, and, and all the different wonderful facets of, of our fellowship because step 10 gives me the tools to, to go throughout my day. You know, people talk about a 10-step inventory at night. I don't remember what I did this morning. I mean, it's 8.30. It's, it's nine 9.10. I don't remember what I did when I woke up at 6.30 this morning. It was three hours ago. So how am I supposed to remember this at the end of the day? Who did I, I've already made seven phone calls this morning to sponsees and to my sponsor and, and to other people and, and to just friends. I, I don't remember every little thing, but if I have my step 10, I'm carrying it through the day. And then my step 11 at night, I, I, step, page 86, gives me direct it gives me a direct guide to what to do every day. It, it, asks, me, it, it asks me to do, uh, do this inventory. And what the 11-step inventory is, is just all the stuff that I missed or all the stuff I didn't come through with on my step 10. Was I selfish? Was I jealous? Did, you know, am I, am I in, did I do this? Did I do that? Do I owe an apology? All these questions that it asks. The reason why it asks me that is because the next morning when I wake up, I want to be free. And I want to be able to wake up, talk to God, and then have this incredible day in front of me instead of carrying all the crap from yesterday. So if I do this inventory at night, it gets me square with God because I did my 10-step inventory all day. And if I did my 10-step inventory, guess what? My 11-step inventory is going to have next to nothing on it. And if it does have something on it, I write it down, and then I share it with my sponsor as a witness, and I go to sleep. And then when I wake up the next morning, I'm free because I've already turned this over. And I get to deal with whatever I need to deal with for this day. So there there would be none of that if there wasn't any belief that any of this would work. So, you know, I'm looking at my notes and I'm really kind of out. And I have a billion stories to tell you guys. But, you know, I want to hear from you. I want to hear your questions. Um, Let me give you my contact information because I love phone calls. I love text messages. Just make sure you give me your name. If you leave a message, say your number slowly and say it clearly and tell me who you are. I did one of these workshops in October. And that day, between that day and the next day and maybe the third day after that, I got about 65 people, 70 people calling me and reaching out to me and asking me questions. Guess how many of those people I contact today or I'm in contact with today? Uh, two or three, maybe four. Uh, Every once in a while, somebody will chime in with a text message. You know, so when you call me, I, I would love to talk to you, but let's talk solution. Let's, let's, let's continue talking. You know, I'll, People were barraging me last time with questions about how I did this and how I did that, looking for the quick answer of how to lose over 300 pounds and how to do these things. For me, today, there's only one answer, and it's in the big book. And I'm very consistent. If my sponsors and my people and my, who listen to me and the people who call me, I always give a consistent message. It's always going to be the big book's, the big books message. And I always say, when in doubt, you know, if, you, if there's an argument, then by all means, go with the big book. Um, my name is Scott. My phone number is 718-440-4776. Again, I'm going to say it slowly. Um, my name is Scott. Uh, people call me Scotty. Um, there's another Scott running around New York, so I call myself Scotty. But guess what? His last name begins with a T. So it's, he's, he's Scott T. So I, I call myself Scotty K. And it became a thing back in the 90s, and I just kept it. So when I go to meetings, I, you know, they're like, oh, Scotty K is here. Yeah, whatever. I mean, who cares? Just another idiot in the meeting. But again, my phone number is 718-440-4776. Um, I can't wait to hear from you guys, and I'm going to shut up now and uh, let Melanie do her thing.
0: Thank you so much, Scott. Scotty K., thank you. (laughs) Wonderful presentation. appreciate it so much. And here at A Vision for You, we do offer opportunity for questions and answers to go on. If you're available for that, we would love to be able to extend that to our our audience here today. So with that, I I do believe that you kind of offer that, so I'd like to open it up to our room.
1: Well, Melanie, a, I'm, I'm good. I'm good till 11 o'clock. So I know this recording will end, you know, around 10 something. Last time I did this, we 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 chatted and we talked it up, and I answered questions till 11 o'clock. I'm going to do the same thing today, as long as my voice holds up.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Very generous of you. So I would like to open it up for questions today. Who has a question for Scotty today? Who Would like to be first. Hi. Good morning Liz. to you. Hi. Good morning, Liz. What is your
2: question? Uh, yes. Hi, this is Liz. Sorry, thank you so
0: much. What a wonderful way you covered everything. I really, really appreciate it, especially uh, how you spoke on Step 2. One question about um, Step 2, and um, I wanted to ask you, uh, in taking Step 2, um, how important it is to be willing to admit that you are absolutely powerless and you and you meaning one that that one is unable that that the self has to be smashed the ego has to be smashed and I think Bill says that some at some point that the self cannot do this alone and therefore yeah. there has to be a willingness to admit that before there is even a a readiness to go on and. And look for a, you know a solution outside of the self yeah so
1: thank you so much um, first of all thank you thank you for the question. Um, I, I, first of all, I, what I was taught was I, I don't take step two and I, and I know the, the words are, are, are funny, but but I've learned you know in this program how to be a wordsmith and, and really because Bill had to become a wordsmith when he wrote the book um, um, and so I, I was taught that, first of all, I, I needed to learn step one, which is the problem, and I needed to really learn step two. And when I learn step one and learn step two, I take steps three through nine, and I take those steps, um, and which are the action steps, and then I live 10, 11, and 12. So I learned one and two. I take three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, and I live 10, 11, and 12. So, you know, you talk about the the idea that it has to be smashed. That's on the first page of um, More About Alcoholism on page 30. And it talks about the idea that that we can control this thing had to be smashed. For me personally, um, every Sunday night was, was, you know, getting ready for diet because Monday morning is my diet. Every single Sunday, and I'm not talking, I'm not kidding. Uh, I'm not messing around. Every single Sunday was me clearing out all the cupboards, eating everything that moved or didn't move in the refrigerator and just destroyed the whole kitchen. And then at, at 10 minutes to midnight, and at midnight, boom, I was in bed, of course unconscious because of all the food I just ate, waking up Monday morning and, and saying, oh, I'm dieting today. I grabbed the box, whatever was left. I found a box of whatever sugared cereal would be there, and I'd pour it, and I'd start eating it in the bowl, and I look at the box, and the box says, a complete part of this nutritious breakfast. And it would have a picture of milk and juice and eggs and toast and the cereal. And I said, well, I'm not having the milk and the juice and the eggs and the toast. Let me have another bowl. And by the time I was done, that whole box was gone. And I said, oh, I effed up my diet. And guess what? I had to do it over again. And God forbid New Year's Eve happened midweek. It was just a really bad week. So I knew, for me personally, that the idea of of compulsive overeating, that, that I can control my eating, I knew in my gut. And then after, I didn't talk about my relapse, and I'll be happy to talk about somebody has a, a question directly about it, but coming out of relapse and finding God again, because that's the only way I found—I fell into relapse, is because I, dis- I got disconnected with God. And getting reconnected with God after 9-11 and after all the havoc that, that's been in our universe, um, I realized today that the only thing that's going to rescue me and save me is God. So self-will, Scott's will, lower power had to be smashed in order for me to to succeed with this. But please call me if you want to talk more about this. I love love this topic, but I want to open it up for some more questions, and thank you for your questions. Thank you, Liz.
0: Hi, who's next? Hello, this is Harper. Hi, Harper. What's your question? Well, I just tuned in, and I would love to get his number.
1: Sure. um, My name... My name is Scotty, uh, or Scott, Um, it's in New York, I'll repeat it a bunch of times during these questions and answers, because I know, I appreciate you tuning in, Um, 718-440-4776, 718-440-4776, I'm East Coast, and I, turn, I, I lower my volume at night when I sleep, so just call me anytime. Leave a message with, a clear, with your name and clear phone number, and I'll be happy to get back to you, and I return all calls, and I talk to everybody. So thank you.
3: Who, who's next? Hi, my name is Nancy. I'm, I have a question. Hi, Nancy. Oh, I had Go for it. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for your honest, powerful share. And uh, I, too, struggle with uh, my childhood faith, and uh, it's been a process of evolution for me. So I was wondering if you have been able to reconcile your uh, religious upbringing with the spirituality of knowing. That's my question.
1: That is a wonderful question, because I, I actually meant, I didn't write this as a note, but I meant to call back. I, I love I use the word call back a lot. I'm in New York City. There's lots of actors and actresses and singers and, and, a call back, and comedians. Um, and uh, so a call back is an important piece to, uh, piece to our program. But yeah, I meant to call back to the fact that, yeah, today I can absolutely look at my religion. I, I don't practice. Um, I, I'm not active in the religion. However, I love it, and I understand the, the teachings of it, and I can read through some of the some of the craziness that might be in the Bible to really look at the idea that, in the end, it's all about God. <clears throat> and the big book says it, and of course Albert Einstein quoted it, as either, you know, if you're going to look at God, either everything is God or nothing is God. And today, you know, some people talk about their cups being half full or half empty. You know what, for today, as far as my recovery is concerned, my cup runneth over, baby. And and it, it, it might be Judaism that, that'll shine today or tomorrow. It could be Catholicism. I can look at Buddhism and I can talk to somebody who who is a practicing monk, you know, and really be able to understand the spirituality and, not, and, and understand what they like. Another example, my brother who I talked about being developmentally disabled and doing this and doing that, he actually, you know, he, he lost God. He just said there is no God. God took mom and dad from us. God did this and God did that. You know what? Every Saturday night he goes to a friend's house who plays, who he plays video games with that friend is also teaching him how to become a Jehovah's Witness. So my brother, the Jew, the Jewish kid you know, who just doesn't believe in anything and, and, and you know, is, has all these issues, is now looking at God and really talking about God. So I actually get to talk about God when I'm with him. And I don't judge that. I don't judge that he's you know, maybe looking at converting to something. I think it's wonderful that, that he's actually enjoying something greater than him. So it's a wonderful thing. Religion is an incredible thing um, and I don't look at it negatively anymore. I'm very, very happy to hang out with my Jewish friends or, you know, everybody else. So, thank you.
0: Hi, who's next with the question
1: for Scotty?
2: Scotty, it's Barbara from New York.
1: Hey, Barbara, what's
2: happening, Mama? Scotty, great to hear you. Um, Question, if I came to believe in step two and I turned my will and my life over to God in step three, when I have paralyzing fear, how is it that you handle that? If I do believe, I do believe. I mean, God is everything. Um, but I still get this incredible fear. And I don't know how to let that go. How do you do that?
1: Um, thank you, Barbara, for the question. It's so good to hear your voice, sweetheart. I hope everything is well with you and your family. I know that you've had some challenges lately. Um, thank you. Well, guess what? Step two, I, I have this belief. And in step three, I take that belief and I and I go and I launch back and I run and he, imagine this, imagine a big ravine, this big ocean, like remember Tarzan and everything, this big ravine and there's a big rope. So with step three, it's like, I, I, God, please take me, take me. I absolutely love you. I absolutely want everything that you have to offer. I offer myself to thee, blah, 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 blah. I grab onto the rope and I jump. And the fear, the paralyzing fear, you know, fear can mean a lot of things. Um, Pardon my language, I'm not going to curse, but it it, it could be F everything and run. Um, Or that fear can be face everything and recover. Um, But also that fear a lot of times is false events appearing real. So if I'm grabbing onto that rope and I'm jumping in my step three, guess what? There's more work to be done in step three. We've got to do step four because the action of step three is step four. So if if I'm turning my will and my life over to God, there's more work to be done. I need to do an inventory and a big part of that inventory is that fears inventory. For I found in in AA, there's lots of resentments, but in OA, there's more fears than anything else because we're scared to death. That's why we don't do anything. That's why we sit in bed and just, just, just cower and eat all day. So if I do that fear inventory and I come face to face with my fears and I can look them in the eye and turn them over to a sponsor, and, and find my part in that fear and what I'm doing with that fear in my fifth step and, in, and then coming close to how those fears turn into character defects in my sixth step and then give, give them to God on my knees in my seventh step and, and live 10, 11, and 12 today. You know, After facing the outside world in steps eight and nine and, and becoming right with it, those fears start dissipating and disappearing because if I give it to God every single day and if I, if I look at my fears list and pull out my inventory and look at my fears list and say, wow, I'm not afraid of that anymore. Wow, look at that. That was from, that was from 2012. That, that, that fear, that's gone. You know, it's a daily thing. So when that fear crops up, I just have to give it to God and then just do a quick step 10 on it and do steps, you know, three through nine, just like step 10 tells me to do. So thanks, Barbara. I hope you're well. Who's next? Thank
2: you, Scotty.
0: Thank you. Who's next with a question for Scotty? Just a reminder to press star one. That will unmute your phone if you're eager to ask Scotty a question.
1: Even if you're uneager. <laughs> Especially if you're not eager. Let's ask it anyway. Come on. We know there's a lot of people on the phone. People have something to this say. This is
0: Rabia. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Good morning, Robbia. What's your question? Um, Hi, I'd love to hear about your relapse. What went first? Um, I'm sure you know it had to do with God and your connection with God. And could you walk us through the process of your uh, spiritual relapse before your physical?
1: Sure. Um, well, what happened basically was um, I, I came into program in '91 as a little boy. Oh, turned me into a man, and then I started earning money. I started dating women. I started doing all these other worldly things. And, you know, one of the little expressions that, that is thrown around the rooms is the thing that we, we focus on the most in each day becomes our higher power. So I started worshiping money, and I started worshiping women, and I started worshiping alcohol and just other fun things. And alcohol was never really a huge challenge for me except for the fact that when I drank alcohol, um, I ate inappropriately. So I, I lost my my first abstinence, um, which I had later in one thousand nine hundred and ninety one I had it for seven years, and I had lost my abstinence and started to be getting it back you know and I would have 30, 60 days here, ninety days here, a year here, all the way through two thousand and one, you know about four years um, at that point, i'd gotten married and, and a lot of things changed in my life, and God was slowly but surely becoming a little bit less and a little bit less and a little bit less. You know, I'm not giving you all the food a lot because you know, you know, uh, again, with, after my relapse I became 508 pounds. So at the beginning of, of this recovery that I have today, this, this abstinence that I have today, I was 508 pounds. The way I got up to 508 pounds was by maintaining a 300 pound body for a while um, and then talking to God, not talking to God and slowly but surely other things became my God rather than, than higher power. And and then, of course, 9-11 happened, and I was personally affected by 9-11, and I won't talk about that today, but you can call me, and I'll be happy to share with with anybody about that. Um, But I was personally affected by that, and I really lost my faith in God. And the big book constantly, over and over and over again, talks about faith for that works is dead, and that basically means you can have all the faith you want, but if you don't do these steps, if you don't do the works, you're in trouble. Well, guess what? I was a big book expert at 500 pounds. Where the heck is that getting me? So I had a sponsor who sat me down and said, Scott, when are you gonna get on your knees, talk to God and stop eating? And I said today, and that was March 6th of 2003, I gave my will and my life back to God. And I turned it around and I righted the ship and I started saying God is everything. And 11 and a half years later, I'm, I'm standing here, a recovery compulsive overeater who's in a 200 pound body as opposed to a 508 pound body. So that's the quick answer. But thank you for your question, who's next?
4: Uh, this is Carolyn from New York.
1: Hey, Carolyn, talk to me.
4: Hi, um, I wanted to ask you about um, when you're newly recovered. Um, I've been in program eleven years, and I had you know periods of recovery. Well, they're not recovery, abstinence. You know, a month here, three months here. I, you know, my longest was fourteen months, and then um, inevitably, inevitably, I would relapse, and usually started with an apple. It's only an apple, right? And then I'd snowball. And eventually, I'd be binging in a parking lot. Um, anyway, I, I found Vision for You, thank you, God, last summer. And I came recovered in early December of last year. And I um, had about three months of living in true recovery and sponsoring. And, um, well, I, I would say actually probably about half that time in true recovery. And then I started going downhill, but I
2: recognized it right away.
4: And um, I think the main failing was was not really living in ten and eleven. I, I kind of started telling myself that spot check inventories all day were enough, you know. And my spot check inventory was, oh, I'm I'm not being tolerant, loving, and kind. Let me let me try to turn that around. Where I'm not living in, in gratitude, you know. Let, let me reframe my mind. And you know, I, I thought that was enough, and and it really obviously wasn't. Um, at the same time, I was sponsoring three people who I picked up almost immediately when I you know, became recovered and um, I found one in particular extremely challenging and um, I talked to a lot of recovered people about it and was, was told, you know, there's probably something in this relationship or about this person and their story that's really getting to you and there's something here to be learned for you and stick with it, you know, assuming your own recovery isn't threatened. Well, I didn't think my recovery was threatened because I didn't have any food thoughts and I wasn't eating. But what I didn't realize was, you know, I I sort of realized there was a lot of, you know, restless, irritable, and discontent going on, and I kept doing um, step 10 turnarounds with recovered people, but Mm -hmm. I was having to do them so often about the same things, and um, little by little, you know, I started separating from God and living in resentment, and eventually, of course, I picked up, and so I only had like three months, and I had to drop the three sponsees, and... um, and I have a so, pattern over the years when I'm abstinent, then having to drop people because I I don't stay abstinent. So now I have a fear of sponsoring.
5: Sure. And,
4: um, and what exactly
1: what exactly is the question
5: though?
1: Oh, I'm no, trying. You me no, no, no. It's great information. I'm just trying to frame the answer okay. that I, I kind I kind of am thinking about. But at the same time, I know yeah. what you're getting at. I, I have a feeling, yeah, well, but but if you yeah, tell me.
5: Yeah. The, the the
4: question essentially at this point is: I'm newly recovered again. I'm going to be starting to sponsor again. I have some fear around that, even though I'm living in faith. How do I protect my abstinence while being of service?
1: Well, that's a great question. Okay, well, you know, you use the word being recovered, and and I, I use that for my own personal to talk about who I am. I ask my sponsees to do that. Um, and it's not because of any sect or any denomination of OA or anything. It's because our big book constantly talks about being recovered. It talks about ex-problem drinkers. It talks about people in whom the problem have been, has been solved. And it talks about it in past tense. But then if we go to page 85, right in the middle of 85, it says it's easy to let up in our spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We're headed for trouble uh, because alcohol is a subtle foe. And then, of course, like I mentioned, we're not cured of alcoholism. Um, what we have is a daily reprieve contingent on spiritual condition, maintenance of our spiritual condition, I should say. Um, and then it continues, it says every day is a day we must carry the vision of God into all of our activities. So having that fear of sponsorship and people and personalities, guess what? You know, if you, you know, I heard you say that, that you, were challenged with, you were challenged with life and all of, of stuff, you weren't challenged with food. Yeah, because food is the symptom. Food, you know, they say that the bottles were only a symptom. For us, for me, Milky Way and Almond Joy and Hostess Fruit Pies are a symptom of the disease. They're not the problem. You know, if I just handled the symptoms and put Band-Aids on everything, it's like sort of plugging a hole or trying to plug my fingers into a hole of a dam. And there's the problem is me. The problem, as you know, I'm listening to A Vision for You every day, is selfishness. The selfishness that we have and coming back to it You know, When we we find somebody, a sponsee, and we find a trait in them that really irks us and really has a problem, and we finger point, when you point your finger, there's three fingers pointing back at you. When I don't like something or somebody, when when I'm challenged by another person, it's typically because I share that same behavior and I hate that part about me, so I, I turn around and reflect that onto them. So if I apply the steps into it and stay consistent with my message and my power, And, you know, I I don't think people should throw around the word recovered so easy. There's a lot of people who do, and I'm not going to get into that, and it's a whole political thing. But to me, recovered means that I'm, for today, in fit spiritual condition, and I can carry this message. And my sponsees, I I don't ask that they call themselves recovered until they're done with their step seven, and they've given their character defects back to God, and they're now doing eight and nine and starting to live 10, 11, and 12. So, you know, and I only ask them that if they're in fit spiritual condition. I have one person in my world and she says I'm a compulsive overeater and I'm recovered today. Um, and because, you know, there's been some relapse, there's been some challenges in, our, in my world and in her world and in everybody's world. So you know, I don't throw around the, the word a lot. And if my sponsors don't want to call themselves recovered, I tell them that's great. Um, I do that. It's a, it's a sort of a family tradition where I, where I sort of how I sponsor. But at the same time, then do what you want to do. But if, but for me, you know, I, I hear somebody call themselves a compulsive overeater. That means that you're an active compulsive overeater. To me, because I take everything literally, if I'm calling myself a recovered compulsive overeater, that means that for today, God is, God has taken that that away from me just like in those 10 step promises it says on page 85 the problem has been removed but then it gives the caveat it's only removed if you're in fit spiritual condition because guess what if you're not in fit spiritual condition it will you will go back to compulsive eating so taking on sponsees taking on the universe with business and with with other people and with other things we're dealing with all these character defects that we gave to god so in the end it's really a step six and seven issue Go back, and look at, I go back and look at my character defects, what I gave to God, and see what, I've, what have I taken back. If I gave them all to God, and I'm, and I'm acting out on selfishness or hatefulness or, or lack of humility, guess what? I've taken back some of those character defects, and I need to go give them back to God in, in my step 10 immediately. So thank you for the question.
6: Thank you. Hi, um, this is Anna H from New York. I'm recovered for today. Hey. Anna. Hey. Um, I am. I just had a question about working with others, um, sponsorship. So, what in your experience, in terms of having sponsees and working with them for many years and being a sponsee yourself, when you uh, Are working with someone in particular, and you take them through the uh, the steps. Can you tell me a little bit about, um, you know, how do you how do you navigate when the relationship is when the sponsee maybe isn't um, as eager or calling anymore? I mean, I always I try to call, but I've always also been told that you know it's something that we as addicts, as people with this disease have to want desperately. And so I, my school of thinking is I'm not going to breathe down someone's neck who's not, you know, not trying to at least meet me a little more than halfway. Because, yeah, um, Got Yeah. What, Thank can you, Anna. you talk about that a little bit?
1: I know I can. I absolutely can. Um, you know, for me, taking the steps or, or giving the steps to a sponsee uh, again, I'm just a guide. That's all it is. It's sort of like you know the way my sponsor describes it. God is the car and the and the and the highway, and the sponsor is the driver of the car. I'm I'm the guy who's the sponsor. And I'm the guy who's the guide next to that that driver. And of course, you know, their spon- my spon- If I'm the driver of the car, my sponsor is sitting next to me, and my sponsors are in the back seat or sometimes the trunk. So. You know, if, my, if I'm if I'm in a car with a sponsee and trying to direct, you know, where they need to go in order to, to climb this twelve thousand foot mountain that we have to get over in order to be free and live on the other side, um, if they're not if they're not buying in to what I'm offering them and they stop calling and they stop, you know, doing everything, um, then I'm opening myself up to other people. You know what I mean? I, I I like to sponsor multiple people because if that driver is driving his car off the road or swerving into different lanes, then guess what? If I'm in multiple cars, then I'm gonna be doing fine. So for me, um, if I have a sponsee who's not who's not doing everything, I usually will end up having a conversation where, you know, we need to we need to meet, we need to read these things. Um, and if you're, happy, if you're in the middle of your inventory, we need to be doing this much inventory because it needs to be done by, by these dates that we talked about. Um, and I'm all about momentum. I believe the steps are all about momentum because, again, I gave that example before of grabbing the rope like Tarzan and jumping over the ravine. Um, if you're jumping over the ravine and then you all of a sudden you don't, you don't jump through on the other side and you're swinging backwards and swinging forwards, all you're going to be is on a rope in the middle of a ravine. How are you going to get to the other side? It's all about the momentum of doing it and using the ravine as a tool. So if I'm grabbing, if I'm doing that and a sponsee is not, is not calling me to continue with their fifth step or is in the middle of a sixth step or, or is writing out their sixth step in list and then we're getting together and then not doing the work, I'm going to have to have a conversation and say, you know what? The way I do the steps, the way I take people through the steps is all about momentum. You've lost your momentum and we either need to get it back or maybe I'm not the right sponsor for you and let me help you find somebody else. And I have, unfortunately, you know, I, I, it's, I, I have to take a human resources um, look at this, because you know people are human beings and we all have feelings and emotions and stuff. I will absolutely help somebody in every way possible and find every solution I possibly can. But in the end, I'm going to have to make, the, make this. I'm going to have to sever the relationship because on page 96 of our big book, you know Anna, where it says that if, if we if we take so much, I'm just paraphrasing, but it's, if we take so much time with one person, it's ruining our usefulness to other people. Because if that person's not willing, then you know what? Maybe they need to go do some more experimenting, or maybe they need to go and do whatever else is working for them, and we need to go and help more people. So if that one person's not working for you, or two people are not working for you, then you need to get yourself in front of some more rooms, get some more sponsees, and um, make it happen with somebody else, and then your sponsees will either eventually come back to you and work with you, or... You know, they fire themselves and then find somebody else and hopefully get over that mountain in another way.
0: Thank you, Anna. Anyone else with a question, for Scotty? Hi, Sarah. Good morning. Hello. Hello, I'm Angela from Staten Island. Hi, hey, Angela. 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 Angela, we're going to have Steph, Sarah W go first, and then we have Angela, and then we have a third one. Who is the third one?
2: Debbie from New York.
0: Debbie from New York. So, Sarah, would you go first, please?
3: Thank you, Melanie. Thank you for your service. Scott, I just loved what you shared, and you know, I'm just very like-minded with you about a lot of that stuff that you were talking about. Um, I am grateful to be a recovered reco- recovered impulsive overeater today. Um, I wanted to bring up XXVI. Uh, it's a very important part of the book to me, and I, if I could just read the little part that I want to bring to your attention and, and ask you a question about it. it says,
1: I, I, know, I know exactly what you're going to say, and I can't wait. Say it, please.
3: Okay. (laughs) It says, more often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached as he is then better, has a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. And if I could just give a little bit of uh, my feeling about it. Okay. Um, I I believe that this is an extremely important part of the book. Um, You know, it gives a clause. Uh, Basically, it's saying, In some some situations, the person is not going to be fully abstinent when we're working through the steps. And my experience has been, I came in in 1995, uh, I did have a relapse. Uh, I am um, grateful to say that I have been abstinent for almost six months now. I do sponsor, I do believe in the program. Um, I have had slips prior to that, and I did walk through the steps having slips, so Um, my my feeling is that there are people that come to the program that maybe they have an extra apple or maybe they have, um, you know, some nuts. Nuts seems to be a big thing that a lot of people have an issue with. And um, I guess my thought is, um, you know, am I going to tell that person that they, um, you know, going back to step one, you know, or, you know, I've heard many people, you know, Basically, fire their sponsors, which you know I think that's kind of harsh. I don't really believe in that. I think if someone keeps coming back and they're trying and trying and trying, I mean, this is a disease that we are powerless over. Absolutely. I mean, really let me um,
1: let me let me just jump on this real quick. Um, I appreciate the question, um, only for the sake of brevity, uh, I'll I'll, t- I'll tell you that the. The idea of being powerless, uh, that, that same, I knew exactly what you were going to talk about, and I, ab- I absolutely pull it out. I did a sponsorship workshop last weekend with a, you know, a whole bunch of people, and I said the same thing, that when I take sponsors through the book, um, I ask them to be abstinent. You know, we work on a food plan. We work on putting together the idea of their you know, top 10 um, red, red light in foods, and more importantly, food behaviors, and their, their yellow light foods and food behaviors. And we, we work on an abstinence. We don't, I don't talk a lot about food with my sponsees, believe it or not. Um, I'm, I'm somebody who's been 500 pounds. I sponsor anorexic. I sponsor bulimic people. I sponsor people who've been 5 or 10 or 15 pounds in every direction. I sponsor people who've lost hundreds of pounds. I don't care about what, you know this and that. What I ask is when we go through, there is a solution more about alcoholism and we agnostics. I need seven days of abstinence in order for me to read with you. Not for me, but for you. I ask that my sponsors at least have a week. And and I understand if you're don't if you not abstinent. I don't know how anybody could stay abstinent without doing the steps. So the, there's people running around in our fellowship who have been here for years and have been abstinent for, for so much time and have only done the first three steps or maybe halfway through step four or stuck somewhere. I don't know how they stay abstinent. But to me, I just ask that you have seven days going through this. And then by the time I, we get to step three, I want somebody to have 30 days before I'll take them through how it works, and then we, we do step three. If they lose their abstinence during their inventory, I tell them, it just happened recently, one of my sponsees, um, I, I told them, get right back down on the horse, continue your inventory, and let's, let's put this food bullshit, excuse the language, aside, and let's look at your step three. You gave your will and your life over to God. If By eating, you're taking your will back. You're, you're becoming your own higher power. Let's focus on your inventory because that's what you're afraid of doing. So an inventory is just that. It's an inventory. It's a a list of things. So um, I just push and push and push. And if if people just continually lose their abstinence, at that point, um, then usually the work stops. And at that point, I usually have to sever the relationship and say, hey, you know what? Um, Maybe I'm not the right sponsor for you. Maybe we need to talk to another sponsor. um, If if you can't keep it together while doing, you know, six and seven and eight and nine, etc. So... I mean, that's, it, it sounds like a hard stance, but I think, you know, uh, the, the, anything that we do with there is a solution more about alcoholism, anything we do with that is going to go right over somebody's head if their mind is constantly in the food and their mind is constantly in the, in the selfishness. So, that's... Thank um, you, Sarah. Sure. Who's next? Thank
0: you, Sarah. Thank you, Scotty. Angela is next. Angela, go ahead, please. Island. Hello? I'm sorry? Hello, hi Angela, Angela
1: from, from Staten
0: Island. Island. Hi, hey Angela. What's up? Um, I've been in the program for about five and a half years now, uh, working the steps, and I'm very grateful. And today I have six, uh, five months of abstinence. But I want to. Sometimes this thought comes in my head: Why can't I be normal? And I, and I do work the steps, and I just, I sometimes don't understand. I know. I'm not normal I know I'll never be normal with food how do I just stop pause pray <laughs> you know I, I, sometimes it I don't know It just gets I just feel well, that feeling
1: um I was taught that with step one step one is the only step I need to do alone and step one is the only step I need to do perfectly everything else comes in time so the doctor's opinion talks about the idea of the the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind and the phenomenon of craving and again, a phenomenon is something that we can't explain. A craving is an idea that rules out all other ideas to the contrary. Um, s- same with an obsession. And yeah, when we, you know, it talks about um, uh, being restless, irritable, and discontented, and until we can at, at last, you know, um, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the book in front of me, but, you know, until we can have that, that first bite, um, which we see others taking with impunity. So everybody else, I- I'll tell you a perfect example. Last night. Um, the reason why my voice is hoarse is because I was out all night with, with a bunch of people. I hosted, I, I'm part of a group outside of our fellowship, completely non-spiritual. Um, it's a, it's a, just a media person, a personality that, that I have. I run a, a, a fan page with a bunch of other people. And they, we all met at, at a bar, and then we went to this club, and then we went to another, then we went to a comedy club, and we did this and we did that. And I was sober. I mean, when I say I'm sober, I don't drink, I don't do drugs, I don't, you know, I don't do anything that's going to hurt myself and certainly don't compulsively eat, um, but everybody else wasn't, and I'm hanging around a bunch of normal people just drinking for the night and just eating everything in front of them for the night, and I look at them, if I wanted to, I can look at them as like, well, they're normal people, they get to eat, why can't I? Guess what? You know, you say you're in program for five and a half years, what's kept you here? You know, what's, give, what's given you that five months of abstinence, congratulations, that you have. Um, that five months of abstinence in five years from now will be five years in five months. You know what I mean? It, there's no reason any of us need to ever compulsively overeat again. And no matter what we did this morning with food, no matter what we did right now, just before this, this meeting with food, no matter what we might be eating right now, if you're on the phone eating, supping your face somewhere, there's no reason why we ever need to compulsively overeat again because abstinence can start at, at 9.49 on a Sunday morning. Abstinence doesn't have to start at night or, or, or you know, at midnight or at the morning. That's diet mentality. That's Weight Watcher bullshit. Guess what? I'm not a Weight Watcher. I'm a compulsive overeater. And for today, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater because I believe that I know because of, of the insanity of the disease, I had to, just like the title of our workshop, the reason why I, call, I, I told Leia let's call it Came to Believe, because I had to come to believe that I was insane when it came to compulsively eating. I had lack of sanity. I would do the same things and expect different results. So I also, and then once I came to believe that I'm insane when it came came to compulsive overeating and I'm not normal, that's when I was able to get a God of my understanding and, and utilize that higher power to take me through the rest of my life without the need to access food. So I hope that answers your question. If not, please call me. Um, And I think Debbie was next with a question, and I think I recognize Debbie's voice, so I want to say hi.
7: That's
0: right. Debbie from New York.
1: Uh
0: You'll need to press R1, it sounds like, Debbie. Good morning to you. Here for just a moment. Debbie from New York, are you still with us? So while we're waiting for Debbie. Debbie, are you there yet?
2: Anybody while we're waiting questions? for Debbie, Hi, let's sorry, have I a find my phone. Sorry I found it. Um, yes, yeah, Scott, I'm one of those sixty five people that called you and then never called you back. How are
1: you? <laughs> um <laughs> I re
2: I definitely yeah. recognize your number. Um, I have currently like Ah, uh, not now. Not today. I'm trying to have day one, but like I'll have four or five days of abstinence, and then like I'll do something stupid, like buy a birthday cake when it's my son's birthday, and think that I'll be okay because I'm strong now, and I'm and I'm and I'm gonna get recovered, and then like I pray to God that don't let me eat the cake, and then I make calls, and then I just don't have. Will, the desire I don't know what happens when that binge food is in front of me no matter like how much I want to be absent and recover and how much my life is a disaster because of it I don't know why I just eat and um I don't know what to do like and 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 it's funny because I'm orthodox and I'm Jewish and like I have a higher power and it's like you would think like I, I could go to my higher power right but yeah I have a disease but like I don't know what to do like I'm I'm going insane because, like, I want it. Every single morning I wake up and I'm absent. I'm usually, like, in the afternoon or night time. I get so frustrated with my children. And, like, when I have all those resentments, I don't, I don't know why. It's so hard for me to go to my higher power. Yeah. So, like, that's, Absolutely,
1: that's Debbie. question. Um, well, first of all, I, I appreciate the question. And, yes, I definitely recognize your voice. I remember you're from Queens and we we talked. Um, yeah. Yeah, and here's the thing. You used the word try. And um. Without making this a conversation, let me just, just give a statement real quick. Um, you used the word try to get abstinent today. Um, there is no try. You know, again, Yoda from The Empire Strikes Back. I go back to 1980. And I'm not going to do my Yoda voice because I have barely have a voice in otherwise, and I still need to have a full day of activities today after we're done with this. Um, and, of course, taking all your calls later, I can't wait for that. But the idea of Yoda turning around, and Yoda, the, the, the ancient wizard, this, this incredible, um, knowledgeable uh, creature, says, do or do not, try or try not. So if I try to get abstinent, there is no try. It's just like somebody say, I can't, I can't stop eating. And I look at them right in the eye. There was a guy the other day, I, I qualified at a men's meeting in Manhattan, and the guy said, you know, before the meeting, he says, I can't stop eating. I looked at him right in the eye, because you know, program has taught me how to look people in the eye and talk to them without fear, I looked them in the eye and said, guess what? You won't stop eating. It's not not, it's not that you can't. You can. You just won't. And I learned that with my higher power there is something there there's a little something called called clarity, called comfort. And and besides the comfort it's it's character. So I really believe today that my higher power is not so worried about how comfortable I am with a certain food or with a certain topic or with a certain thing. And I call it a he just for the sake of, of whatever. I call my higher power he and I say, well, he's way more interested in my character so if if for the first seven days of abstinence it sucks because if we've been compulsively overeating we're dealing with the allergy of the body in some cases i don't necessarily deal with a lot of i can eat ketchup and i can eat this and i can eat that um but it for me it's more about food behaviors if i start eating in front of the refrigerator if i start buying inappropriate foods and and eating them out of boxes and bags etc by doing all these actions um I'm, i'm really you know the first 7 days of abstinence suck because they're uncomfortable. So for the first few days of abstinence or even sometimes 6 months in, we have to go through a period of discomfort when it comes to wanting to eat because guess what? We are compulsive overeaters people. We are hardwired to want to compulsively overeat. That is our first response. And I was taught by my sponsors and my sponsors before my sponsors that guess what? If my first thought is not necessarily the right thought, so if I if my first thought is always going to be, I got to eat this food. I bought this cake for my baby's party, and I'm going to eat that cake. It's my cake. It's my it's it's free. It's it's in the house. I paid for it. You know, it's mine. But this, if we give if we give a second thought to that first thought, that's when the dominoes start dropping. So if we take that first thought and say, well, you know, my first thought when I walk into a CVS is where are the candy bars? Let's take a look at what's on sale this week. No. The second thought needs to be, well, what else is in this CVS or this Rite Aid or this Dwayne Reed or this, this Walgreens that I need to buy today? What medicine do I need to get? What, what you know, hair products or, or, or body products do I need to get? Those of you who know me know I don't do hair products because I don't have hair on my head. But you know what I mean. And what else do I need to do? So the first thought is always going to be I need to eat this. The second thought, in my opinion, needs to be, well, what can I do for myself today that I don't compulsively eat? So, thank God, we have tools, such as the telephone, such as meetings, such as literature, such as writing, such as service, and all these incredible tools, and of course, we have steps. So, and more importantly, we have steps, but the tools really help us balance ourselves while we're taking the steps. So, it, it, you know, unfortunately, in the beginning of an abstinence, we need to be uncomfortable for a little while while we're working on building our character. And then we need to do these tools to get ourselves away from that first thought and focus that first thought into something different and better that, that's more suited to, to help us live a whole life and a full life mm-hmm. and, and, a, and a long life. So, thank you.
5: Hi, my name is Jane May I share? Hi, Jane, what's uh, up? Jane, you could, what's your question, please? Oh, yeah. Um, it's about step one. Um, I, I don't want to thank you very much for your qualification. It was very enlightening about Came to Believe. Um, well, my feeling is, um, not my feeling, is. it says it in the books that, you know, we have to take step one 100% or else, you know, we can't take it step two, three, whatever, and finish do the program. Mm-hmm. And how I come from a very, you know, 10 years in, OA in another program for 15, 16 years, um, weighing and measuring without exception, blah, blah, blah. And I've had, you know, I had almost six years, but stock-raving crazy abstinence. Um, and I'd like to know at what point, or maybe it's something about, we, we have to know what their first bite is. Do we have to define it, or is it something that comes, or... I'm trying to work my food along with my steps, and I'm on my fourth step now. Why am I I asking this question? Because I get confused a a lot of shares about, you know, if you just, um, you know, it's compulsive overeating, abstaining from compulsive overeating, but not having a food plan. I get very confused, and my head goes into, like, la-la land, but... Yeah. Well, well, you know, I just, I just feel like there has to be a separation between the steps and the food. Yeah. Or, I mean, we have to like just like the alcohol, put it down. Can you well, address that? I am. An, an,
1: I am. Thank you so much. Okay. So here's the deal. Um, with with the compulsive eating. You know I, what I do again. I'm I'm a weight loss person. You know, there's other people who are anorexics and bulimics, and they all have different issues. I I first work with somebody while we're going through doctor's opinion. We work on a food plan, or we work on a plan of eating, I should say, a basic plan of eating. And for me, that plan of eating has a bottom line. So I usually ask, without going into huge long detail, um, and we can talk about this privately. But I ask somebody, what are your top ten red light foods, and then if it's eight of them or if it's fifteen of them, whatever it is. What are your top 10 red light food behaviors? And I give them examples of mine, um, meaning certain restaurants I just don't go into because there's really nothing there for me and there's a bunch of other restaurants I could do. Or food behaviors as like eating while standing in front of a refrigerator, etc. And then what are your yellow light foods? Like the gateway foods, they call you know, the gateway drugs. This is the gateway foods. Um, and those foods that, that when eating, you know, sometimes you can overeat them, undereat them, they're, 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 they could be a little messy, but they're not necessarily, you know, bottom line, gonna kill us. And then, what are your yellow light food behaviors? Um, so as an example, I use Ritz crackers. Um, and, I, and I say, well, if I'm eating Ritz crackers, um, I usually need to just grab a bunch of crackers and put them on a plate and then eat, you know, have my tuna fish with them or have whatever protein I'm gonna have with those crackers or use those crackers in whatever way as a snack. If I'm eating them out of a sleeve, then guess what? I've just broke one of my red light food behaviors because my red light food behavior is eating foods out of boxes and bags and sleeves. So if I'm going to take a portion of food, it's going to be down on, on something. So there's, if, if I create this, this, this list of behaviors along with the foods, and in red, yellow light, you know, the, those little caution behaviors along with foods, and work with the sponsee, and of course myself and my sponsor, etc., and then there's a bottom line. And sometimes that first compulsive bite. Guess what? We're human beings. We overeat. We're going to tend to overeat. You know, if, if we get an order of chicken from a restaurant and it's a little bit bigger and we finish it, you didn't overeat. You just ate your chicken. It's just it's normal. You're human. Let's move on. I, I don't nitpick. I don't get to little little you know this and that. I don't go into a whole thing. But yeah, you're absolutely right. The step one is the only step we need to take perfectly and understand that we're powerless over this. So if we're powerless over it, then it's absolutely selfish of me to spend my time focusing on what the fuck I'm, excuse me, I'm sorry, bad language, but what what am I putting in my mouth? I need to focus on what I'm doing with my life and food becomes fuel. Food becomes nutrition for me. So, you know, the bottom line is, is is if I'm really focused on all the food, then I'm not focusing on the solution and, the pro- and, and I'm focusing on the problem. I'm not focusing on the solution. So if my sponsees are doing that, I will do my best to write their ship and direct them to please focus on the solution. You know, let's, let's look at the solution to your problems that you're having. So I hope that helps.
2: Thank you, Jane. Anyone else with a
0: question for Scotty this morning?
8: This is Janice.
0: Hi, morning, hey, Janice. Janice.
8: Go ahead. Well, well, Good morning to you, and good morning to you, Scott. This is uh, My name is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive over-eater from Massachusetts.
7: Hey, you've got, yeah, you got a
8: convention
1: coming up there soon. we got, we got a Region 6 convention happening soon by you.
8: Yeah, we do. Yes, I enjoyed you very much, of course. There's only one, I, I don't know if it's a discrepancy, or perhaps you can clarify it with me. You mentioned it on two occasions about talking about you know, craving and obsession. You kind of put them both together. Now, my understanding is if I'm, you know, I'm powerless over um, the craving, too. It's be, The craving, because that happens after I pick up my substance, whereas the obsession is before picking it up. Yeah, oh, but, I am, yeah, I get the ahead. question.
1: Yes, thank you. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I put them both together because it's, it, to me it's together. Like right now, I can sit here and I'm not a pregnant woman and I've never been pregnant and I've worked. Oh. I've sponsor, I've sponsor, <laughs> hang on, let me, let me finish. Let me finish. Um, I've, I've sponsored pregnant women and they have their cravings for, for ice cream and pickles and for this and for that. I don't mm. know where it comes from. God bless. God bless you guys. I'm just grateful on the man. I don't have to deal with that. However, I can sit here and crave, I could say I'm craving and an I'm enjoyable and I used Almond Joy in my example, so I'll do it again. I'm sitting here thinking I'm craving and, and in the end, yeah, you're right. There, there's an idea of cr- the physical craving is because we actually have, have eaten something that's gone into our bodies and that, that our bodies are needed. Just like um, for, for my bulimic friends, Um, The first week of abstinence absolutely is hell because their bodies are so used to just getting rid of every single food they put into their bellies. So yeah, it's really painful. It's physically painful. I associate that with me and eating a hostess fruit pie and needing to go eat another hostess fruit pie because I just had one and it's so friggin' good and it just erupted that sugar and that fat and that, that oil and that disgusting shit that they put in there just made me want to go eat another 15 of them yeah, that's a physical craving, and then I, I combine them both for the sake of, of brevity and for the sake of um, for the sake of sanity and, and for, for clarity. And just I put them both as um, a, a, you know an obsessions, a, an idea that rules out all other ideas to the contrary, because it is an obsession. That's what it is. And for me, a craving is the same thing. When I'm craving something because I just ate it physically, yeah, that, that idea is ruling out all other ideas to the contrary. And, but I can also sit here and tell you that right now, you know, I can easily turn around and want to crave a slice of pizza, even though it's, it's you know, 10 something in the morning, it's not on my food. I don't, eat, I don't need to eat that today. Even though I do have pizza in my food plan, it's just something that I, I usually do and I usually say that I'm going to have it in advance because it's a yellow light food for me. But yeah, I can sit here and crave all I want. But that, what does that really mean? That means that my mind is focusing on the food and sitting in the food. I'm craving the pizza and it's so good in the sauce and the cheese and and the bread and the crispiness. Or I could be thinking about how I can help another person or how I can be of service to somebody. So I turn around and take that craving or that obsession and make a phone call. And don't talk to the person I'm calling about my pizza craving. If I don't talk about the pizza craving and I talk to them about their issues and their challenges and their life, guess what? I get out of my own head. And when I get out of my own head, guess who gets to come in? God. And God comes in and fixes everything because when I'm done with that phone call, I feel like a million bucks because I just did service and pizza craving is gone or pizza obsession is gone. So yeah, there's a big difference between craving and obsession, but I just make things easier. I try to make things really simple and easy when we're going through the big book and, and you know when people are doing food plans because if we're stuck in our heads about food, then we're being selfish and we're staying in our own heads. Because the six inches between our ears are the most dangerous part of our bodies. So thank you,
0: Janice. Thank you. Who else has a question, (laughs) Scotty? This morning, I heard Deborah.
2: Yes, this is Deborah. Sorry. And I think
0: I heard a couple of other people. Let's catch those real quick, Deborah, before you ask your question. Who else was on the line?
7: Florence from New Jersey.
0: I didn't hear that, Santa. Did you say?
7: I'm Florence from Virginia right now, New Jersey.
1: Okay. Sue
7: G I, from H- lady. I heard Sue G. There
1: was, a lady from, uh, there was a lady from New Jersey in the middle. Of Sue and the other lady who started.
0: Okay, so we maybe heard uh, Deborah uh, Asanta. Maybe did you say Emily, Scotty? Uh,
1: I, you know, I'm not sure what the lady from New Jersey was, but there was a lady from New Jersey, okay. and then there was a third yeah, third it's, person.
2: It's, yeah. Right, great. Let's start with Deborah then. I think
0: we got it. Thanks so much, everyone. Deborah, go ahead with your question, please. Hi, am I still unmuted?
3: Yes, yes you are. You are. Oh,
0: okay, sure. Um, two really quick questions. I think you just described very well the difference between trying and what you
6: do in the first discomfort, that first week, where you, the difference between white knuckling it and then actually coming to believe in a power greater than yourself. So I think that I would want you to address that if that's not what I picked up. The other question
0: was, I've been in another 12-step program, had an amazing spiritual awakening, and it, it's I'm so wonderfully blessed by this new life. Yet when it
6: comes to this program, applying those same principles into OA, A Vision for You, is not
9: working at all. So okay. maybe
0: you can Yes, yeah, thank you. I can.
1: I can, absolutely. The, 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 the first step, you know, we're powerless over food, our lives are unmanageable. That's it. Once we, we realize that we have this problem, we have this problem. And if we're focusing on the food, then guess what? We're in the problem. So if we're focusing on something other than the food, then we're in the solution. So, and the solution, of course, is that we believe in this power greater than ourselves that can restore us to sanity. And then, of course, the plan of action is steps three through, three through nine, and then we live 10, 11, and 12. So that's really to address the first question and the second question, the idea of, of, of you know, I didn't really get the, the, full, the full idea of, of your question, um, only because I was thinking about the first part, but the idea of trying, just to focus on trying versus doing. Um, it, it's so important and you know, the, the 12th step says we try to help other compulsive ovaries. So you know, people always say, Scott, you, don't, you always call me on when I use the word try and you tell me to do. But the 12th step actually says to try. Yeah, because guess what? We're dealing with sick people. We're dealing with addicts and addicts do stupid shit. And that's just what we do. I'm sorry. We, we just do stupid things as addicts because we have, we have this obsession of the mind and, and you know, allergy of the body. And so when we try to do this and we try to do that, we're, we're actually saying to ourselves that maybe it can work, maybe it can't. But if we do it and we say we're going to do it no matter what and we're going to act as if, then you know, we realize that we have other tools to help us do these things. We have sponsors. We have phone calls. We have other, we have other wonderful things that can get us out of our heads and, and get us out of the selfishness of what we're putting into our mouths and focus on how we can help our fellow, fellow man, fellow woman. And and live this program. And that's all it's about. You know, the day-to-day struggle, it doesn't have to be a struggle because we have tools around that and there's an answer for every question. So next.
0: Thank you, Deborah. Next, I would say let's go with a woman from New Jersey. Hi, this is Diana. I have a question. Diana, were you the one that spoke up that's from New Jersey? She is the one that's next. Oh, I'm sorry,
7: no. I'll put you on the list.
0: We'll get to you if we can. I'll put you on the Great list. We're looking for the woman from New Jersey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
7: My name is I'm Florence. I'm Florence. I'm an Italian from New Jersey. I likely live in Virginia. I just wanted to say how uh, grateful I am uh, to Scotty Kay and also uh, I'm new to a vision for you. Uh, Susie called me at like 8.15 and I, I'm, I'm visiting my family in New Jersey for a funeral and I'm 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 struggling with all of the home food. And um, I just am so grateful for the fellowship. Uh, I mean, it brings tears to my eyes. Oh, my goodness. And um, I just want to say I'm the mirror image of the woman that said, what do you do with a sponsor who doesn't want to work the steps? Now, I've had a great physical recovery. Um, I'm, 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 I believe in God. I love to pray. But I, I'm scared. I'm sort of scared of the steps. When people say, my sponsor says, uh, and by the way, my sponsor gave me the Joe and Charlie CD, so I'm, I'm connected. But I, I don't know why I, I have a hard time with the steps, even though I'm not, I, I get him I, I can think about them. Thank you so much, Fratty K. <laughs>
1: um, thank you so much. We, we are, just, just to answer, thank you so much for your question, and, and I'm sorry about the funeral that you're at today, and, and I hope everything is well with you and your family. Um, okay. uh, so the the challenge is the fear of the steps. Guess what, people? We're in a 12-step program. We're not in a diet club. And if we're focusing on the food and we're focusing on everything around the food, we're focusing on a problem, we have a fellowship that gives us the solution. And, you know, if we're we're scared of the steps, yeah, you know what? I spoke yesterday at an 8-step meeting. It's August, so there's going to be lots of 8-step meetings running around. Um, so I spoke in an eighth-step meeting, and the first thing I said was, when I came into Overreaders Anonymous, and I was this 21-year-old kid who had no life experience but had done a lot of harm because of all the lies I told and all the cheating I did and all the stealing I did and all the horrible things I did to other people in order to get my fix, um, if, I, if I was told that I had to do that day one, I'd be scared. I said, no friggin' way, and I would have left the rooms and never came back. The, the, mm. the challenge and the, the gift is that we have the first step, and it, it's, it's a step. And you know what? You don't take the fifth step right away. You, know, you, know, people, people, you don't take the third step right away. Some people say, well, if you want the program, just open up how it works. If you open up, and you, and you listen to your Joe and Charlie tapes, because they're going to tell you, if you open up to how it works without reading the, the first 87 pages before that, you're going to look at, you're, it's basically opening up a math book. You know, basic subst- subtraction and addition. You're going to open up a math book to calculus. And if you know basic subtraction and addition and maybe a little bit of multiplication, then you open up Chapter 5 without reading the doctor's opinion and Bill's story and there's a solution more about alcoholism and diagnostics, then you're opening up a math book to, to um, um, calculus or, or trigonometry without actually going through everything that's going to help you get to that. So the fear of the steps, the, the, the way past fear is to face everything and recover. Um, the way I was told to do that was to look fear in the eye and just keep walking. So if we act as if, guess what? All you got to do is admit you have the problem and admit that, that your life is unmanageable and, and come to realize that yourself and then find a sponsor to help you through the rest of it. Trust that sponsor and go climb that mountain. And yeah, it's scary, but guess what? Look at, look at who's on the other side. You know, you listening to me this morning, thank you, and I'm grateful that I have the the recovery in order to share this, but there's dozens and dozens and dozens of other people on these calls who are recovered compulsive overeaters that no longer have these challenges in their life because they have a God personal to them that helps them do everything. So that's, that's what it's all about. You know, there's, there's a reason why six of our 12 steps mention God. It's because this is a God program and, and God is whatever God is personal to you. So thank you for your question and I wish you success in your program. Feel free to call me anytime and I'll be happy to help. Thank you,
0: Florence. And I wanted to know, did we hear someone by the name of Santa? Press star one if we did. You're next to to ask your question. If not, let's move to Diane. Good morning, Diane. What is your question for Scotty?
7: Press star one, (laughs) Diane. Um, um, Diane from Long Island. I have been in the program and um I just came back from a relapse and I put on seventy pounds. And when I was in the program before I lost fifty pounds and I had like an what I consider an imperfect abstinence and I struggle with um abstinence because even though I was losing weight, I wasn't, you know, eating what I said I was gonna eat and I was still having things that I wasn't supposed to have and um I'm struggling with how to start being abstinent.
4: Um,
1: well, the, the, the way to stop the struggle is to, again, you know, I just told you what I did with my sponsors um, is to just, you know, take, when, when I first started this abstinence, you know, again, you know, you say that you gained 70 pounds in a relapse, That that's really easy to do if, you're, if we're two hardcore compulsive overeaters who just hold in every single thing we eat. Um, that's what I did, and it was easy to, to regain and gain, lose and gain the weight. So when I started this abstinence at 508 pounds, my, and I got on my knees barely, and I said this, the third step prayer with my sponsor, and I said, well, what do I do? And she says, well, you know what to do. You know, and we, she knew that I'm a big book person. I'm a guy who knows what to do. But I just said, what do I eat? What do I do? She said, I don't care if you eat a rhinoceros for breakfast, a hippopotamus for lunch, and an elephant for dinner, have three meals, nothing in between, and go from there. So that's how I started this abstinence. I ate whatever quantities I wanted to eat, except they were in the three meals, and I made whatever rules and laws around around those meals. And eventually it's evolved into something today where I just don't do certain foods, and I have red light and yellow light foods, and I have food behaviors that I understand, and I have a plan of eating. But plans of eating changes because if I, get, you know, if I get a car and drive cross country, I'm not going to have three meals and two snacks and balanced and this and that. I'm going to have, you know, one meal and, and three snacks or or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. You know what I mean? So it's just making something, you know, just picking three things: no pizza, no ice cream, and no hostess fruit pies. That's your absence today. Whatever it is, just get started. And of course, once you figure that out let it go, and then go find somebody to help you take the steps. Once you take the steps, guess what? All those food issues disappear. And the weight loss that I've had is not due to anything other than just me being focused on helping other people, getting people through their challenges, getting out of my head, and the weight loss as a surplus is just the icing on the cake part of the expression.
0: Thank you, Diane. And I wanted to make sure that we caught all those on the list. I want to ask uh, another time for Santa, if you're there on the line, if you were the one that spoke up, and then the next one after that would be Sue G. If it's not Santa, let's go to Sue G.
10: Hi, thanks for your service, Melanie, and thank you so much for your message, Scotty Kay. This is Sue G. from Pennsylvania, a recovered member of our fellowship. Um I've been thinking about um, some of what Joe and Charlie talk about fellowship and, which is for support and which is needed to survive as a fellowship, and the steps and to me, my, my recovery is definitely in the steps. Um, what I'm wondering, and you've really answered a lot of this just by your your shares, but um, our task is to say and that Spiritual condition with the daily retrieve, the daily reprieve contingent on this, and I'm wondering how you utilize the fellowship to support your um, your continued. God connections, the God of your understanding you. connections. Oh. I call mine Hooby. That's Holy One of Blessing, and he has a nickname so that nice. he she it is friendly to me. So it's Hooby. Well, uh, love it you know, it's an abbreviation. So how how do you use uh, the, the fellows to support um, that? Well,
1: let's see. I sponsor lots of fellows. Um, I go to you know our fifth tradition tells us the primary purpose for each meeting is to help those who are still suffering. So here's a perfect example. All right, this this happened two years ago, but I always give this example because cause it's just such a cool thing. So this, I sponsored this woman, beautiful woman, statuesque, was absolutely gorgeous. She she just she had a bad day, called me up crying, saying that there was a picture taken at work, and then she looked horrible in the picture, and, and she was like, <laughs> and and the and, and, and she's all sad and she's crying and this and that, and I said stop, stop, I'll slow down breathe. Okay, where are your feet right now?" And she looked, I'm like, look down. Where are your feet? I'm on the ground. Great. You're on the ground. Slow down. Where are you heading? What are you doing? Where are you going? I'm going to a body image meeting. I'm like, well, stop crying. This is the thing. I want you to go put on your suit. And, and by suit, I mean Superman. Let's think of Superman. He got the big leotard with the boots and the shorts and the cape. You go put on your OA cape and your, your outfit, your abstinent, right? You go, you go put on that suit with that big OA in your chest and that cape behind you. You're going to go into that meeting. You're not going to share your issue that you're having right now. You are going to listen to the shares. You are going to find three people who are way more screwed up than you, and you're going to walk up to those people after the meeting and go, offers, go offer service to them. And then she just listened, and she said, Okay? And an hour and a half later, I get a phone call. Oh my God, Scott! I had such a great time! The meeting was wonderful. There was four girls. There was all, everybody was talking all about this and that. And I went up and one of them asked me to be her sponsor. And I did this and I did that. And I feel great. And I said, wonderful. Keep doing that. And so that's Pretty much, you know, that's the story. But And it, it's a real true story, and I can, I can share the name of the person. You can call her. She'll tell you the exact same thing, and it's a great story. But the bottom line is is I use our fellowship because our fellowship is where the newcomers are, is where the people who are just jacked up, unfortunately, or who are struggling to get that day one. And if I can help them turn it around and get them into that big book and look at our, look at our fellowship and then look at our program and get a sponsor, then I've done my job, and that's how I use the fellowship. I I speak in front of meetings. I have sponsees who are like, I can't find a a sponsee. Like, you know, I have a a sponsee who's like, I need to find sponsees and I can't find sponsees. I'm like, well, are you qualifying at meetings? Are you walking up to leaders of meetings and asking them if they have a spot for you to talk? Well, no, um, you know, I kind of want to be asked to speak. Well, wh- who's going to ask you to speak unless you have a big, people, big group of people following you? I get asked to speak all the time, but I've also been around for 23 years sharing this message. You've only been around for a year. Who's going to be calling you every day? You've got to be proactive and make sure that you're standing in front of that room qualifying or sharing for three minutes in the back of the room saying the, the solution. And guess what? If you share the solution either in the back of the room for three minutes or the front of the room for 15 to 20 minutes, other people are going to start walking up to you wanting what you have. And that's how we use our fellowship because this is, this is what we do. So that's my answer, but who's next?
0: Thanks, Suji. Appreciate that. Let's take a couple more questions this morning before we close this meeting. Who's the next one? Hello, who has a question for Scotty this morning? Let's take two more.
9: let start one on your phone. De-
0: this is De- <laughs> De- I have Debbie in Canada and Denise, you'll end us out then this morning. Good morning, Debbie. Go ahead.
9: Good morning. Thank you for this call, and thank you for sharing your story, Scotty. Um, I'm I'm still working on... I thought I was working further along, but apparently I'm still on step one and two because I had a very humbling experience yesterday. Um, and I guess my question is, I had a humbling experience. I went to bed last night thinking, you know, I've got to leave it in my higher powers' hands. I really can't do this. I really am powerless over food. And I woke up this morning I could just feel the um the bad thought about oh you know I'll get on this I'll get on the scale which is for me a compulsive behavior and you know maybe I don't really need to follow the food plan I shared last night and um I I don't know my head says I can't do this but my heart still has this little bit in it that says maybe I maybe I can maybe I still have power and I don't know how to deal with that um, do you have any ideas for me? Thank you, Scotty.
1: Um, thank you. Um, and the bottom line is, is when you say you can't do something, the, the bottom line is for real people, we can do something. Um, um, the, we, we can do what we need to do that's in front of us to do today. And if that means eating a little bit less food or not eating this dessert or not eating this other food, then you know what? For today, that's fine because there will be a tomorrow. And guess, here's the other thing. I had a sponsor who said, well, Scott, you know, how many, how many years do you have to live? And I said, I don't know. And we, we did a little thing. I'm like, all right, I want to live till I'm 90. Okay, well, you're 44, so guess what? I get to live another, 46, another 36 years till I'm, till I'm 90. No, I'm, I'm doing the math wrong. Um, another 46 years <laughs> to, to, till I'm 90. Okay, well, take that 46, multiply it by 3, okay, and then multiply it by 365. Okay, well, that, that twenty or 30,000 number is how many meals I'm going to have in my lifetime until I'm 90. And I looked at them like, oh, my gosh. And I realized I don't have to eat everything right now. I'm going to have lots of meals and have lots of opportunities to eat all these other things that I want to eat. And the bottom line for everything is that if we're focusing on the food and we're focusing on what we're putting in our mouths, then we're in our heads and The way to get out of our heads is by doing what our last question was, to use our fellowship. We have fellowship. If you're not taking numbers at meetings of newcomers or people who are in trouble, you're, I think you're doing a disservice to yourself and the fellowship. I believe that we all need to take numbers of people who are in trouble. We need to walk up to people in meetings who have their hands raised and never get called on to share to find out what they have to say because. That's the only way that we get out of our heads and we get away from that first thought, which is always the worst thought. To this day, I I went out this morning to get a bottle of soda, uh, to get get some soda so I could stay awake because I only had three hours of sleep last night and my voice is hoarse from, from a whole night of activities and I need to be of service to you guys. So I'm out this morning and of course the thought is, ooh, what can I have for breakfast? I know what I'm having for breakfast. My breakfast is at home waiting for me. And I had my breakfast 15 minutes before our call while I was on the phone with my sponsor. But my mind was, what can I have for breakfast? Nothing, Scott. Go to the store, buy the soda, go home, go upstairs, make your breakfast, eat it, talk to your sponsor, and then go talk to these people and give them your your experience, strength, and hope and answer their questions. So yeah, the first thought is always going to want to jack me up because I'm hardwired to be a sick compulsive eater. But the second thought is the one I'm responsible for. The third thought, I'm responsible for it. If I would have given that first thought, well, mm, you know what? This sandwich or this or this or this food sounds really good. I'm giving credence to that first thought and then the dominoes start dropping. And we know what happens when dominoes start dropping. It just creates a mess because it doesn't stop. The train that's, that's coming at you, you know, that last car, that engine, it does, that's not what kills you, it's the first car that kills you. The food is always the last thing to go. There's always a bunch of other challenges that happen in our lives before we start picking up. So, you know, to start abstinence is to say, it's 10.26 on a Sunday morning, fuck it. I'm starting my abstinence right now. Right now, no matter what, I'm starting my abstinence at 10.26 on a Sunday morning, and I'm doing it right now because I said I don't have to do it at midnight. And then you start your abstinence right now, guess what, you don't ever have to compulsively overeat again for the rest of your life. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Debbie B. Thank you, Scotty. Denise, you're next. What's your question for Scotty? Hi, uh,
11: this is Denise. Hi, Denise. Okay, I'm from East Tennessee, and um, I have been... a chronic overeaters anonymous member since 1974 I think and I've been in and out and up and down and across and back and I've worked with different kinds of sponsors and related programs and recently I've been trying to find a sponsor and my question for you is have you worked with people that have this um, this history and if you have, have you been able to successfully bring them to a place of recovery? And again, if you have, um, here's, here's my, my concern. And I feel like, you know, when I'm working with a sponsor, it's kind of like dating. You could do this dance together. And I don't want to disclose a lot of my history. I want to start fresh with this new sponsor. And so I guess my question to you is, how much digging do you like to do is that necessary? Yeah. Uh,
1: and I'll pass. I thank it. you. Um, no, I got it. Um, first of all, thank you. for. I love Tennessee. I've, I've been to meetings in Nashville. I've been to meetings in Memphis. Um, I absolutely love your state flying in. It was just the greenest trees I've seen in, in ages, and I've been all over the world. So um, I love your state. And your. as far as, yeah, I've sponsored long timers and people who have just been in and out and in and out and in and out of the rooms. And I call it tough love. And I tell people to, you know, you, you've been around, first of all, first of all, congratulations, you've been around this fellowship since 1973 or 74. That is wonderful. That's, you know, 40 years you've been sticking around. There's an expression in our program, you know, uh, stick with the winners. There's also an expression with win with the stickers. And the stickers are the people who've been around, like yourself, since 1974 or 1973, and have done this program, and have done this fellowship, and have done these things that have, have you know, sometimes worked, sometimes not worked, but you stuck around. So the way I can equate that is to if you're in a car, and you're driving from New York to California, and you get a flat tire in Tennessee, I'm going to use your state, you get a flat tire in Tennessee, do you go back to New York and then start over again? Or do you get back in the car and keep going? So you know, there's lots of people who have driven and have gone through Route 80 and have gotten through New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania and, and Indiana and Illinois and Idaho and, 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 and whatever not Idaho but whatever and have gotten across and then maybe get a flat tire here or there. And there's other people who drive around Route 80 and get a flat tire in New York when they get started. They get a flat tire in New Jersey. They get a flat tire in Pennsylvania. They, their engine breaks down in in the state. Or you know what I mean? There, there's lots of challenges. So when I sponsor somebody like that, I usually get real with them, and I say, you know what, you're my age or way older because if you've been in programs since '73, I'm old, I was born in '70. You know, you're in your 60s, '50s and '60s and '70s, and guess what? Let's get real. You know, are are you in it? Are you do you want to win today? And it, I focus on a daily thing with them. And again, being a consistent, uh, I consistency is my biggest my biggest I guess asset with, with the steps. I'm consistent with how I work the big book with people. And, and I don't care if you've been in program for 40 years and have fallen on your face a billion times. Guess what? You don't have to fall anymore. I got your back. Let's work on this together. And, and then in the end, the reality of it is that people usually fire themselves and stop calling. And... I, I'm not the one who, who I'm not somebody who's going to chase you. If you're not going to call me, I'll call you a few times, reach out to you, send you a few text messages. If you've been around for 40 years, if you've been around for five years, if you've been around for five months, you know, it's the same thing. I treat everybody the same. And because abstinence is today. Abstinence is right now. Abstinence is what we have in front of us to never, to never hurt ourselves with anything again and to bring in a power greater than ourselves to restore to sanity. And I'm a believer that abstinence is step zero. So if we're abstinent, then we can absolutely believe that we're powerless and we can believe that we have a power greater than ourselves so that we can do the rest of these steps and figure out the issues. So thank you.
0: Thank you, Denise, and thank you, Scotty, so much for your thoughtful, powerful retelling of your Step 2 experience here today, a vision for you, and, and I think especially for your generosity and your service to the fellows on the line and answering their questions. And uh, you've given out your telephone number. So those that want to continue with that thought process and the questions too, um, just to remind them to be sure and and, um, give them a call. I certainly offered that opportunity to you as well. Very, very thoughtful. Thank you so much. And we're going to close this meeting today like we always do on our Sunday special edition is by the reading of, of page 164 in a vision for you.